Yes, ma'am. Secretary Powell, my name is Maria Steffen. I'm a Truman Fulbright from the Pletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. Um, my question is about uh, the image of the United States abroad. Um, I'm very concerned that the image is changing and changing dramatically. Uh, and that the one-time image of America as a land of hope and freedom and liberty is changing uh, to be one of Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo and torture. And I fear that as someone who's going to be entering public service in the international affairs arena. And so I wanted to ask you specifically um, how the United States can balance its role as perhaps indispensable leader in this world with a humble, uh, the role of a humble servant of humanity. Yeah. We, we need to speak uh, more softly in our political discourse and in our discourse with our foreign friends. Abu Ghraib was a terrible hit on the image of America. We have got to make sure that we are opening up ourselves again to let people come into this country. Everywhere I went um, as Secretary of State, after meeting with ministers and whatnot, I would always meet with young people. And for the first 15 or 20 minutes, it was about Iraq, Afghanistan, the Middle East, why aren't you doing more this, that, and the other. And then the tone of the conversation would change, and they'd start asking me about America. Uh, and I was able then to get back to what people believe in about America, what they want to believe in about America. I was able to get back to the fact that America is still a place of hope and opportunity. Um, and it is still that place, and I can prove it by all the applications that I received as Secretary of State for people who wanted to come here. They would scream about Iraq, they'd scream about Afghanistan, then they'd ask me, can they get a visa and how quick can they get a green card? And all you have to do is walk up the street of this city, go to any corner, and see people at work, starting out in the same kind of minimum wage jobs that my parents started out in so many, many years ago, and you will see that people from around the world still see America as that place of hope. But we have to do a better job of communicating that message to the rest of the world. And Abu Ghraib was a major hit on um, our standing in the world and what people believed about us. Same thing with Guantanamo. And I've strongly advocated that we got to get these two issues totally under control and punish those who need to be punished at every level and uh, clean out Guantanamo as fast as we can in order to get on with rebuilding the image that we deserve to have in the rest of the world. Yes, sir. Secretary Powell, my name is Trevor Thompson. I just graduated from the Naval Academy a week ago, actually, and I'm heading to Oxford in the fall. Um, my question is about duty. Um, you kind of have been, I mean, people consider you to be like the icon of duty um, in this country with all of your public service and military service. Um, as someone in the military, possibly being faced with the prospect of telling um, a subordinate, you know, to fight for a war that they don't necessarily believe in, what would you, what would you say to that person? You volunteer for uh, service in the military, and it's a unique calling. And you give your allegiance to the Constitution of the United States, first and foremost and to the political leaders who have been selected uh, in the name of the Constitution and the process provided for by the Constitution. If you uh, reach a total moral dilemma, where you simply do not feel that you can carry out an order that you have been given, or if you feel the order is illegal or improper, then you have to say to your commander, I can't do this, and face whatever consequences are there. Ralph touched on it earlier about you know, my position on various issues. I have never done anything that was outside the bounds of my moral understanding of the issues we were dealing with and uh, my ability to speak to my leaders. I have gotten in considerable trouble in a 20-year period in public service by speaking to my leaders about what I thought on various issues. 
And with respect to the Iraq War, President Bush gave me full reign to convey my position and how I thought we should approach this. That's why we went to the UN. But ultimately, I'm not the one who is elected. President is elected. The president is the commander in chief. And the president was operating within the confines of uh, the political system with the support of the Congress, a resolution of the Congress, and with a legal basis to do what uh, he felt it was necessary to do. And we presented a case to the world, and not just me at the UN. It was an intelligence case that had been presented to the Congress. It was an intelligence case that was shared with our friends in the United Kingdom and Italy and Spain and elsewhere. And it was, a, it was a case that we all believed in. And what was the truth about that case? That Saddam Hussein had the capability to develop these kinds of weapons. He had them before and he used them. I have been to northern Iraq. I have been to the village where he gassed 5,000 people in one single morning, killed 5,000 people. And so he had the capability, he had the intention. Where we got it wrong, and there's no question about it, we got it wrong, we were misled, the intelligence system failed, is he didn't have active stockpiles. President's judgment was whether he did or he didn't at that point. If we let off the pressure, and if the UN walked away from its 12 resolutions once again, and Saddam Hussein was free of sanctions, who wanted to take the risk that this guy would not use his intention and capability and go right back to developing the stockpiles which we thought were there were there and were not there? That's what political leadership is about, and it isn't easy. I have been through a number of these, the invasion of Panama, Desert Storm, uh, going into Liberia a couple years ago. All of these are enormously difficult issues, particularly when you're going to put young men and women in harm's way. And as a, a young, uh, now ensign, entering the United States Navy after you finish Oxford, uh, surface warfare, I hope. SEAL, sir. SEAL, even better. Uh, but I think you will find that your commanders are sensitive to this, and your commanders will never, I've never been put in 35 years of service into that kind of a, of a moral dilemma because we have a political system that monitors the president and watches what's happening. And so I don't think you'll, you'll face that kind of challenge, but ultimately you, you have to answer to yourself. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. My name is Damian Williams and I'm a law student at Yale. You said that bad things don't die and that we should prepare ourselves for leadership. So speaking to this room of future leaders of the world, how do we know victory in the war on terrorism when we see it? I don't know that there will ever be a day um, where somebody can stand up and say, the war on terrorism is over, all the terrorists are gone. Um, it is a worldwide uh, uh, curse. It's happening in Saudi Arabia, it's happening in Spain, it's happening in Russia, it's happening in, in, in cities in Latin America. I think the best we can do is bring it down to a point where we have got them on the run, we've made it much more difficult for terrorists to operate, and that we have gone about our normal lives. What I think would be good for America is for us to have such competent intelligence and law enforcement systems at work that we can protect ourselves and at the same time get on with life, uh, not barricade every public building, not walk around afraid of everything. Uh, if we can sort of get back to normalcy in our life and have confidence in our authorities and in our military and police and law enforcement intelligence systems to deal with the terrorist threat, then from time to time there may be an attack of some kind. 
but it will not be a threat to our way of life. We sometimes forget, and you, you, you folks are still relatively young. Your, your memory is not as long as mine. But for the first time in 100 or more years, we're not facing a world war. We've defeated communism. We've defeated fascism. Uh, people are looking to uh, globalizing the world. You'll hear from Tom Friedman tomorrow and the, you know, the flatness of it all. And this is an exciting time to be alive and to see the world reshape itself where there will be no world war. Are there regional conflicts? Yes. Are there horrible things happening in the world? Yes. But I think that young leaders such as yourself coming up can deal with these kinds of challenges, but you won't have to deal with the prospect of a world war either in Europe or Asia. That is remarkable and that is positive. Terrorism is there, but terrorism does not rise to the kinds of challenges that we got rid of over the last 20 years. Terrorism does not threaten our way of life or our continuation as a society. The only thing it can do is constrain our way of life if we let it, and I don't think we should let it. I think we should get on with life, go out and go to all of our uh, cultural activities, don't barricade ourselves in, and get on with life and show the terrorists that they're never going to defeat us. They can't defeat us. We're America. We're strong enough to deal with this kind of a threat. We've dealt with worse threats in the past. Last question, this man says with a huge sign. <laughs> my name is Amy Wilkinson. I'm a White House fellow. My question is how you would define the key characteristics of effective leadership that allow you to go and be an advocate for good. Trust. The, the longer I have been in public service and the more people have asked me about leadership over the years, uh, leadership ultimately comes down to creating conditions of trust within an organization. Good leaders are people who are trusted by followers. Leaders take organizations past the level that the science of management says is possible. Uh, one of my sergeants back in uh, the infantry school at Fort Benning almost 50 years ago, which is where I learned everything I ever got to learn about leadership, was at the infantry school. And he said to me one day, he said, Lieutenant, you'll know you're a good leader when people follow you if only out of curiosity. <laughs> I've never had a better uh, definition. Because what he was saying, and, I, and I've, seen it, I've seen it experienced in my life so many times, what he was saying is they trust you. And you have built up that trust. How did you do it? Clear mission and statement, selfless service. Um, people look to you and they trust you because you're serving selflessly as the leader, not self-serving, selflessly. And that you prepare the followers, you train them. You give them what they need to get the job done. Don't give them a job if you're not going to give them the resources, and that you're prepared to take the risks with them. And so they would teach us at the infantry school, no matter how cold it is, Lieutenant, you must never look cold. No matter how hungry you all are, Lieutenant, you must never appear hungry. No matter how terrified you are, Lieutenant, you must never look terrified. Because if you are scared, terrified, hungry and cold. They will be scared, terrified, hungry and cold. I've gotten away with that many, many times in the course of my career by being scared to death, cold, and wanting to go to sleep. But no, let's go. Let's keep going. Let's go around this corner, if only out of curiosity. And they'll follow you into the darkest night, down the deepest valley, up the highest hill, if they trust you. So the essence of leadership 
is about doing all that the science and management says you can with resources, but then taking that extra step and giving it that spark. And that spark comes from getting people to trust you so that they will follow you, if only out of curiosity. Thank you.